Hey guys, and welcome to season three of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh new sound. I look forward to sharing season three of the Us People podcast with you. Let's go. Hello, my name is Jeff Booth. I'm a police officer within the Metropolitan Police Service. And you are listening to Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savio Rox, and today I have Jeff Booth here with me, who is the Chief Superintendent in the Metropolitan Police Service. Jeff, thank you so much for taking your time to come on the Ask People podcast. How are you? I'm really good, and I'd like to thank you for providing me opportunity to uh, come on your podcast. I feel uh, honoured, so thank you. No, you're more than welcome. I'm glad that we had a chance to have a chat over a few things before we came on so I feel that's given us more of a connection to understand each other but also have an insight of what you do and also what the podcast is about and to let the listeners know that we're here to help them understand exactly what you do but also give them an insight of who you are as a person so that's really cool um yeah well I'm in I'm in your hands and uh (laughs) Hopefully I can uh, answer or get across some of the key message, which for me, uh, not only really important to me, but uh, hopefully for your listeners will also strike a chord as well. That sounds good to me. So Jeff, my first question for you, which I absolutely love to ask all of my guests that come on the show is, could you tell me, a bit about your background of where you grew up but also how that influenced you to be the person who you are today well um i think it's always important to know your roots so my parents who sadly are now both passed away were from jamaica um particular clarendon um they came over in the uh, late 50s and um, my mum came to London as a, as a nurse. My dad followed his sweetheart, um, I think a year or so later, but ended up in Nottingham for some reason. Probably thought he was going to Notting Hill, but went to Nottingham. <laughs> and, uh, but cut a long story short, they... They got back together um, and had my brother first, um, and I followed five years afterwards. We uh, was born in Lambeth Hospital, um, so I suppose my claim to fame, I could actually say that I am a, a true Cockney, because I was born within the sound of Bow Bells, uh, lived in, born and raised in Brixton, um, great place to grow up. Um, great because we used to go to 
the Brixton market and I would see um, black businessmen and women, seeing them in positions of authority. And it was, it was a great example because um, I think one of your phrases is um, you can't be what you haven't seen. So at an early age, whilst I didn't recognise it, I was seeing uh, powerful black people in positions of authority running their own businesses. And I genuinely loved the experience of living in Brixton, the culture, the food. Um, and then my parents decided to uh, look at kind of progressing. Uh, they moved to uh, Norbury, which is just outside of Streatham. But for me, it felt like we were moving to the country. Um, predominantly a white area at the time. The school that I went to initially was predominantly white. So that was a real cultural change. Um, and yeah, went went to school in Norbury. Then I went to, to Selhurst, which is more of a diverse area. And um, at the age of 16, I was fortunate enough to uh, gain a, a basketball scholarship. And I uh, went to America on a basketball scholarship, which was um, life-changing. And um, after that, came, came back, because I didn't, grow as much as I would like to. I'm only 6'1", only 6'2". Six six when you're competing against people who are 6'9", 6'10", 7'0", you kind of sometimes see limitations. So I came back, kind of sulked for a while because <laughs> that was my, my dream. And then uh, had to decide on having to um, start earning a living, did a few different jobs, and um, finally, somebody mentioned to me about doing something in policing. And at the time, I thought, never in a million years, policing's not for me. Um, and someone appealed to my competitive spirits when they told me about a police service. It's called the British Transport Police, which at the time was one of the hardest police services to get into because of the sheer numbers and how arduous the selection process was. And as I said, it kind of appealed to my sense of competition. So I went for it, joined, and then uh, was in there for 24 years. Yeah. And, and then six Years ago, I joined the Metropolitan Police on, on promotion. So that's a, a very quick whistle-stop tour of um, my my career or my, my journey to where I've got to now. It sounds like a progressive journey. It sounds like a good journey. It's been enjoyable. Um, I think like in anything, um, you have your ups and downs, but in the quieter times, you can look back and say that the through the bad times, you appreciate the things that have gone well and you True. look to try and learn 
from the things that haven't gone so well and you kind of learn a lot more about yourselves when you're dealing with adversity so That's true. um i enjoy really enjoy what i do now um because i feel that i'm genuinely doing something that's going to have an impact on on others and there's lots of talk about legacy but i'd like to be able to look back and say i've contributed to uh trying to make the metropolitan police service more representative of the the community that we serve and that for me is really really important um there's many things wrong with the met there's many really really good things but there are some really some things that need to be addressed and i genuinely believe that how you bring about real change is by being on the inside and bring about that that change so that's why i'm doing what i'm doing at the moment i love that that sounds really cool to me one of the questions that i know this is going to relate to you said something but i'm going to say the question first so I know we spoke even before we started recording about not being defined by our titles, which I thoroughly agree with. But one thing that I would like to ask you, Jeff, is could you define yourself as a person and who you see when you look in the mirror? But on the flip side of that question, his eyes are going wide, guys. <laughs> on the flip side of that question, has there ever been a time in your life where you have looked in the mirror and not recognised the person staring back at you, how did you manage to transform yourself to become the person who you are now and come back to a place where you wanted to be? Well, that's uh, more than one question, so I'll try my best to, uh, to remember. So how would I define myself? I would... I would define myself as a, a proud black man, proud to be black, proud of my history and the more time that I take to educate myself about black history and the contribution that we have made to the world, the prouder I become. I think there's a term which is used um, where you can start off, it's like a, a, a paradigm, a, um, a journey where you can start off by being what's called uh, unconsciously incompetent. It's like you don't know what you don't know. And over time, I've kind of moved from being unconsciously incompetent to becoming consciously incompetent and then moving through self-education where I'm getting to the stage where I'm consciously competent and I'd like to get to the stage where at some point I am unconsciously competent. I'd like to describe myself as being um, humble so when I say that I'm proud to be a black man, I don't see myself any better than anybody. But I most certainly do not see myself to be anything less than anybody. Um, 
if I'm being honest about it. I probably haven't always felt that way. Um, and it's very difficult when you work in an environment where your difference because of your uh, cultural background and you are a, a cultural minority, yeah. um, it can have an impact. You may not realise it. And it's kind of... The simple analogy I, I make is that I, I don't smoke, but if I was to go into a room full of smokers and I then leave... I haven't smoked anything, but my clothes smell of smoke. So it's yeah. had an impact. And that's the way that sometimes in the environments that we find ourselves in, we don't realise what impact it's having. So at some point, um, I had to make a conscious decision and look in that mirror and ask myself, did I like myself and was I uh, proud of myself? And for me, that was a, a re-education, a journey that I've gone through. And I'm at a stage now, um, 56 years young, where <laughs> I uh, feel that I'm heading to, heading to where I want to get to, where I want to be. So I'm enjoying the journey. That's what I like to hear. That's definitely what I like to hear. Can you walk me through a day in Jeff's life from the moment when you wake up in the morning to when <laughs> to when you're going through your day I know you have so much to do I just know it to just the well, end of the day okay well um I would say that I'm uh, um fiercely private individual yes but one of the, um, I'll share a little bit. One of the things that I'm very proud of is um, my daughter. So um, when I am uh, with her, a general day is I'll wake up and my thought process is, right, how do I get as many things done as possible before she wakes up and takes over so it's all about pre-planning all the things that you need to do uh sorting out breakfast what clothes all those type of things getting her to school on time all of those things dropping her for at school and then you're thinking right what how much time have i got between picking her up afterwards if it's not uh a day or a or a week or a weekend where i'm um she's in my company a normal work day so for example this morning, I'll probably get up maybe 4, 4.30 in the morning. Um, I'll sort out um, what the day is in store in terms of my diary. And then I look at trying to make sure that both um, mentally and physically I do something that enables me to be focused for the rest of the day so I'll, I'll look at um, some exercise and just um, some kind of um, not incantations but some reading to give a real positive outlook for the day and then work-wise um, I'll probably be 
hitting the work computer about 6.30 in the morning. I'll be reviewing what's happened in the last 24 hours, see what impact that may have on the work that I'm doing, anything that's going to have an impact in terms of community engagement, community confidence. And then I will be looking at reaching out to external partners, um, following up on any kind of initiatives. And then it's really focusing on my, my team, because I have a, a team that covers across London. Our particular role is to look at um, encouraging women and people from underrepresented groups, in particular the black community, to consider a career in policing. Yeah. And the way that we want to do it, we want to do it, we want to be genuine about it. We recognize that if you look at now, it's probably one of the areas that many people will balk at the idea of joining an organization that's gone through some really public um, issues that are um, need to be dealt with, need to be faced with. But we need to be able to say to people that this is a, um, a service, this is a police service that they have a right to expect, just like the health service or education, everyone has a right to expect a police service that provides um, support and policing for all sections, not just enforcement, but engagement and all the other things. So my job with my team is to go out on a daily basis to the community, have some of these challenging conversations where people will push back and they'll say, what about this? What about that? And demonstrate that we are listening to what's being said, but then say to them, there are some real fantastic opportunities yeah. career-wise, the opportunity to gain a degree whilst learning to become a police officer, getting paid whilst that's been done, so no student debt. And within the, the, the world nowadays, having a degree is a transferable skill. So even if people decide after a period of time that policing is not for them, they've they've gained and they've got a transferable skill that will, would, that will be acknowledged elsewhere. And then we look at how we work with community leaders, influencers, people like yourself, where we can get the message out, where we can further the conversation. And then finally, my team then looks at how we can support people when they want to apply. We look at how we can inform them about mentoring, coaching. And it's not just about once they join, it's how do we then ensure that they can be their true okay. self within the organisation. Yeah. And if they want to progress, what is on offer? So that's really what my day consists of, is trying to ensure that um, across those 32 London boroughs, my teams are out there doing it. I'm speaking to as many people as possible. And um, every now and again, you come up for air and see 
uh, how we're doing and what more we need to do. I like that. One of the things that stuck out for me is um, loads of people, when I say to them, would you join the police force? They have a stigma about the police force naturally. And I think it's the stigma of bullying, being different, like you said. How do you feel that that will change? And how do you feel that you are a part of the diversity in the world, especially within the police force, that is changing that stigma, especially for the newer generation to come in and say, Jeff, I want to be part of the police force and I feel comfortable, especially there's several different things. There's religion. Like you say, there is culture, but there is also one of the biggest things that people have a stigma against also is sexuality. And I think that plays a huge part in the reason, one of the reasons why people don't join the police force because they believe that they might get bullied in the force because of their sexuality. How do you feel that you can reassure them? I know things take time to change and that's what life is about. It's about changing, doing things. And I'm glad that you're stepping in there to reassure them that they can do this but how do you feel that we continue to have this change so that people feel a lot safer knowing that if they do want to become a police officer that they can do what they want to do and also like you said be themselves well i think it's really important um in terms of the words that we use to describe certain things because they can send a subliminal message so yeah that's true when you mentioned police force we're we're not a police force we're a police service and um when you use the term force it gets people thinking about enforcement and yes there is there is a place for enforcing the law yes there is Mm -hmm. but if the starting point is that this is a policing service yeah it gets people to understand what true policing is about so um that's vitally important i think one of the areas that is really important is there is a, a hell of a lot of fantastic work which is going on not just internally within the police service, but which is being done in partnership in the communities. But what we we know in terms of media, quite often, it's the bad news stories that get yeah. the the airspace. And it's like a reputation. It can take 10, 15 years to build a reputation. It takes one incident to sometimes ruin. That's true that reputation so to answer your question about um my words which is around valuing diversity whether or not that's through gender religion sexuality whatever it is policing is doing so much in that area there is always more to be done But I think what we should be doing a lot more of is celebrating what we're doing in these areas. We've got within the Metropolitan Police Service alone, we've got in excess of 40, 40 Mm -hmm. different staff support associations, which are there to support 
people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different uh, sexualities to ensure that they feel comfortable within the organization. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but I think what's been said many times before, policing service is is representative of the communities that we live in. So a lot of the the behaviours that are being highlighted, they're not just happening in isolation. This is happening in many, many areas. It just so happens, quite rightly, when it happens within the police service, it gets magnified because people have a right to expect that this one shouldn't be happening and shouldn't be happening within policing. And that's where we need to be turning around and saying, mistakes have been made because the only way that you can really really bring about change is when you actually acknowledge it rather than trying to deny it didn't happen so i think the first step is being able to acknowledge it and then being able to speak to people to demonstrate that you've actually heard what they've got to say you may not believe you may not agree with everything yeah. It's like human nature. As long as somebody has given you the common decency to listen and confirms and checks with you that they've heard you and they've understood what you said, that's the start of building a relationship with somebody. And that's what we need to be doing more of within our policing service. Have you ever questioned the system within the police service? Because sometimes you can have power to a certain degree and you can believe that you are doing enough, but then there are certain heights that you just can't reach. Do you believe in your heart? And I know you're smiling at this, which I think is beautiful. So do you believe in your heart that the people with the power are doing enough? And even if you don't have the power, do you still believe that you can reach the heights of where you want to within the police service? to help people yeah so um the reason why i'm smiling is because you you touched on an area which i'm really passionate about um so for me a system is just a representation of human behaviors it's human beings that create the system so our focus should be on educating or re-educating those individuals that are in positions of power to get them to behave in a way that we are aligned to. Yes. And if they choose not to behave that way, we should be empowering ourselves to challenge and get to those positions in order that we can bring about the change. And it's not easy, but anything worth having is worth fighting for. That's true. And um, I mentioned my daughter before, but for me, my legacy is that um, I want to make it um, more accessible for her generation that she doesn't have to feel like she's starting from scratch so i will do as much as i can do and it's about making 
a difference wherever you are. You don't have to be at the so-called uh, top because the reality about leadership is leaders need people. They need people to follow them. They need people to assist them in achieving their vision. And if you're not a good enough leader, you will not have the right people following you. So for me, it's about ensuring that we recognize the vital part that we, we play. And if you look at what you're doing with your following, you're influencing people, you're leading. And we will, if we're collectively doing things like this, we can bring about that change. I do believe that. I definitely do believe that. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Jeff. So I'm going to ask you a question, which is, if you had somebody in front of you who was new and you were just having a general conversation about bringing them on to be part of the police service and you had 30 seconds to pitch your positivity about why they should join to inspire them, what would you say? Well, I first off by saying policing isn't for everybody. It's not a job. It's a vocation. It's a way of life. But what could be more beneficial to you to help other people and to ensure that you are responsible for the safety and well-being of your community? There are very few jobs out there that will give you that personal satisfaction to know that not only are you gaining but you're also helping others that sounds actually good to me that actually sounds i was replaying it in my head while you were saying it and there is no better feeling than giving a service and knowing somebody is safe and knowing that you were part of that it's just giving a different outlook on life yeah thank you for sharing that thank you for the people who Oh, you're more than welcome. Right, we're going to get down to the politics side of policing, okay? Now, for me, I am a learner. I love to evolve when people tell me things. So could you break down the politics side of policing? Because this is even something that I want you to educate me on. I know there are so there is so much politics within government. There is politics within policing. But could you just give us an example of some of the politics that people expect to see and be involved in if they were part of the service? Well, um, it is a, a very good question. I'd probably answer it in a couple of ways. Um, so we, polite, we provide... Uh, a policing service and the term we use is without without fear or favour regardless of whoever it is whatever political persuasion our job our sworn oath is to um, prevent crime is to protect life um, to preserve property and when crime occurs is to identify the offenders and do everything we can do to bring them to justice and that should have no uh, bearing on whoever's in power politically. Yeah. Now one of my previous roles 
um, I was what was called a, a basic command unit commander. I was responsible for uh, three boroughs, Croydon, Bromley and Sutton. And at the time, Croydon was a Labour-led local authority. Bromley was um, Conservative and Sutton was Liberal Democrat. So I'm looking to try to get the three local authorities to work in partnership. And I'll, I won't mention who the individuals <laughs> were, but each one of them would say to me individually, we can understand what it is that you're trying to do, but we cannot be seen to be working in collaboration because if there is any success, each party will try and claim credit for it. That's true. Now, my response to them was that my role as the basic command unit commander is to ensure public safety, regardless of the political persuasion of those individuals. And I know that the public would not think kindly of any local authority that didn't want to work in partnership to ensure public safety. Yes. So put your political um, mindset to one side and put public safety at the forefront and we were then able to work in partnership. See, I like that. Do you think, did it actually, did you guys ever get to work together? Did it ever work out where you guys actually got to work together? Yes, because um, I'm sad to say that when tragedy strikes, and I mean, oh, anybody, yeah. anybody losing their life is a tragedy. When, you, when it's someone who's young, a teenager, hasn't even had a chance to fully explore and fully um, understand what the world has got to offer and dies from senseless violence. If that doesn't galvanise people to say we've got to work together, then there's very little that will. So sometimes from a very negative uh, situation you can refocus people's minds to get them to be doing stuff which is positive and that's what we should be doing the public have got a, a right to expect public servants to be doing that and sometimes you've got to just remind people of their public duty i know there's a subject that even in my area we still talk about and that's knife crime that is a big subject. I know we've had successes and I wouldn't call them failures, but we've had things that maybe we've missed. Um, I know gangs are a huge part of knife crime, but I just want your outlook on knife crime and where you see it evolving and how we can change it, not just in the service with the police, but also as a community, because without the community being part of this and breaking it down and coming together we'll see better results so I don't believe it's just 
the police service that need to get involved I do believe it's a lot more of our communities and sometimes we shadow away from this pretending that we don't see it and I'm going to be brutally honest with it and that's literally how it is in a lot of communities we turn around and say we don't see it or we don't speak about it which doesn't help the problem it only escalates the problem and lets the people who are doing it think that it's okay but in your opinion how do you feel that we can be part of helping the solution be more positive and have a positive outlook i think um knife crime is there's so many different layers to it there's so many different parts to it um some people will say that why are young people showing a lack of value for the life of another what's causing them to do this and people will talk about um gang crime and some people will turn around and say that there's a lack of opportunity lack of jobs um they're being excluded through from education um many of them don't have a a real stable family background so they will uh, kind of latch on to a a gang because they feel that sense of belonging that's true but to go to the the essence of the point that you're making i i will just bring about my own personal experience uh borough commander of croydon at the time and we were having knife crime after knife crime and we reached a stage where i think over a two to three week period we had i think um three to four fatal stabbings and none of them were over the age of 18 and they were all black all black male and i felt a responsibility on each occasion to go in and speak to the families and express my sorrow. And there was one occasion where I went to one family and the lady was, um, I would call a, a typical black woman. She was, you could see that she was the leader. She was holding everything together and she had a dignity about her. And even though she'd lost her, her son, she was still thinking about others and everything else. And one of the members of the family turned to me and said, well, what are you doing about knife crime? What are you doing to stop knife crime? And she turned around and said, within this room, somebody knows who killed my son but not one of you is going to step forward and tell the police who it is because you don't want to be seen as a snitch. And until we come to terms as a community to be saying, what is the most important thing? Is it preserving life? And if somebody commits a murder, they should be held accountable. Yet they felt comfortable, some of them in that room, felt comfortable to point the finger to complain what are you doing police about it when they knew 
who is involved. And until we come to terms with that, we are not going to really address what's going on. Because if you can get the community at large to say, we're not going to put up with this anymore, you then would start to disempower some of these gangs. Do you feel that people are really ignorant towards... How can I say this so it sounds more politically correct? Do you feel that people, youngsters, gangs, are ignorant towards the police because we need more cultures in, in the police force? Do you feel like... Because from what I've seen, I see a lot of ignorance, lack of knowledge, and I mean ignorance in the sense of lack of knowledge towards a subject. Sometimes people see ignorance as the word and they go crazy over it, but I don't mean it in that content at all. I just mean ignorance in the sense of lack of knowledge to understand why things are happening. Do you believe that, especially youngsters who are doing knife crime, have a lack of knowledge towards what they are doing and that's the reason why they don't want to join the police to help it better or make the community better? Um, again, there's there's different levels to your question. So... Mm. Um, I have the the pleasure of, in some of the community work, meeting some really influential people. So there's a, a, a barrister, a black barrister, that is a defence barrister, and I've spoken to him where he is dealing with predominantly young black males who are going to the Old Bailey on murder trials. Yeah. And it's only when they are in court number one and they've been given a life sentence, do they start to, the penny finally drops. Yeah. And by that time, we all know it's far, far too late. So the point you're making about ignorance, a lack of knowledge is very, very uh, true. But I also say that ignorance is a two-way thing. True. Because, unfortunately, there is a lack, there is a cultural ignorance within some of officers within policing that they don't understand different cultures, they don't understand their behaviours, and one of the reasons why I go back to why the work that I'm doing is so important is if you can get an increasing number and a critical mass of people from different communities who understand and can talk to and identify and relate and most importantly demonstrate empathy, that is when we start to make real progress. Jeff, just out of, of randomness, do you have any numbers in the sense of what type of cultures are in the police service? So would you say a certain number for white, a certain number for Indian? Just so we have a knowledge, do you have any percentages just so we can understand it a bit better? So the Metropolitan Police Service 
if you look at it purely from a police officer perspective, yeah. we are round about 32,500. We've got aspirations by the end of next uh, year, April, to be at round about 33,600. Um, we are um, currently about 15% are from uh, black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds within the police service. So that kind of gives you an indication. Now that is, is high compared to other police services up and down the country. But if you consider within London, that figure is around about the 40% mark. It shows how much work we need to be doing to be more representative in terms of females. I think we're around about the 30% um, mark. But if you look at the demographics in London, about 51% are females. So again, you can see um, how much more work needs to be done. And the work that we're doing in terms of uh, people that we attract from April of this year, 40%, four zero of all new recruits will need to be from black, Asian and minority ethnic background. 50% will need to be female and 8% will need to be specifically from the black community in order that that will contribute to increasing the overall numbers. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But as I said at the beginning, it's got to be done in a genuine way. Because yeah. if it's purely a, a numbers game, people will be turned off by it. They just will not be, they don't want to be a statistic. They actually want to join for the right reasons. Jeff, what are you most proud of that you stand for as an individual? Um, I'm proud to be a father. I'm proud that my daughter knows that she's loved and that she's supported. I think that's one of my um, proudest. I'm also proud of my, my brother. He's uh, outstanding. He's probably somebody that you should, should be uh, interviewing in, in, uh, in the future. I won't go too much. If you Google him, you'll find out um, who he is. Um, famous in his own right. And I'm also proud of my, uh, my heritage. I'm proud of my, my family. Um, and I'm proud of the, the job that I do, genuinely. Um, it, as I said before, in your question around examples, it is nice when um, it doesn't happen that often, but I could be doing shopping and I could bump into somebody that I've engaged with and they can tell me, oh, do you remember a year ago or five years ago, you helped do X, Y, and Z, and this, as a result, this is what I'm doing. You can you can take real pride in that. So I, I genuinely take pride in, in the work that I'm doing. I like that. If there was one quote that represented you as a person, 
What quote would you choose and why would you choose that particular quote? Uh, live, love, learn, and leave a legacy. Oh, okay. I'm with you there. Is there any particular reason why? I think if you can do all of those things and do them on a regular basis, mm-hmm. then you've had a full full life. That's true. That is definitely true. What is the best advice you have ever received from someone? And how has it helped you throughout your life? Um, Yeah, I think the best advice that I've ever been given is um, you are your um, best friend and the only person that you cannot escape from is yourself. So you need to make sure that you maintain a healthy relationship and continue to be your best friend. I like that. I've never heard someone say that before. That's actually a really good one. How do you feel that you empower people to be authentic and embrace courage? Um... Well, I do a lot of coaching, uh, a lot of mentoring, because um, I think it's important. But the reason I do it is to get people to recognize what they have on the inside, because it kind of goes back to the point that I just made, which is if you recognize that you've got everything that you're ever going to need internally, what it just needs is for you to work out how to bring it out. And sometimes by having a coach or having a mentor, they can help you you to navigate and work out. I think that is the most important thing and I don't want to use that old cliched saying, but I'll use it anyway. But you know, that, the one about um, teaching someone to fish, uh. it, it's in essence, what it's doing is showing somebody how to have self-confidence, so showing them how to be self-reliant. Once they you gain that, then you don't have any barriers because you know that everything you possess is within you. You just need to work out how to bring it out. And once you've got that, and once you re- and if you can retain it, because sometimes people do get, um, they lose their focus and they start to believe the hype and start to believe what everyone's telling themselves. So you need to be able to stay grounded, stay humble, but if you can manage all of those things, then um, I think you've had a good influence on somebody. And then that's a skill which you then hope that they will then pass on to others. And that's one of the things I say to people. I'm more than happy to help and coach and mentor, but I make one, two stipulations. One, 
that they don't tell anybody that I'm mentoring them. Okay. And two, that they then go on to help somebody else. I like that. I call that pass on the favour. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I call it. In yeah. my life, that's what I call it. So when somebody says to me, for, if they ask me for something, I say, it's fine. Don't give it back to me. Give it to somebody else who you know needs it. You don't have to know the person. Just give it to somebody who needs the help at the time and then say the same thing to them. So then in the world, we're helping each other without yeah. you even realising. Absolutely. Yeah. I only have two more for you, Jeff. And my second to last one, we have spoken, but it was on the phone. And my question for you is, when was the last time you remember feeling totally at peace with yourself? I remember the, uh, you asking me that question. When was the last <laughs> time I felt at peace with myself? Um... I might need to come back with it. I can't, I, I just need to think about it. No, that's fine. No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> if you guys could see Jeff right now, he's in this this thinking kind of pose mode, <laughs> which is actually pretty cool. Um, it's nice to make people I'll, think. Let's put it this way. I, might, I probably, the majority of the time when I put my head on the pillow, Mm-hmm. If I, especially if I'm looking after my daughter and she falls asleep, then I can be at peace and I can then just go to sleep without any issues. But all I suppose, like any parent, you always keep one eye open, making sure that she's okay. So Well, especially if you're a dad and you have a girl. Yeah, well, she, when she gets to about 13, she's going straight into a convent, but she doesn't know that. <laughs> I've heard that sentence before. <laughs> it never happened, but I've heard it. Oh, dear, Jeff, and my last one for you is, before I say thank you for coming on the show, is could you tell us where we could find you or if somebody would like to contact you just to have a conversation with you just like I have today, is there anything that you would like to share in the sense of them being able to contact you, even if it's through social media or any platforms, through your PA? Yeah. Um, I um, We have um, my work email uh, address. More than happy to share that. I'm ashamed to say I'm not out there on social media with all of those other things so I suppose I'm fighting technology but my um, email address is jeff which is j-e-f-f dot booth b-o-o-t-h with an e at met m-e-t dot police dot u-k and if there's anybody that is interested in having a further conversation about what opportunities there are in the world of uh, policing or if there are any organisations that would look at doing stuff in partnership, then please feel free to uh, reach out. And I'd be really 
appreciate the opportunity for me or one of my team to uh, further the conversation. That sounds good to me, guys. Jeff, well, Jeff, I want to thank you first for coming on the Yes People podcast again and sharing your knowledge, your kindness and your wisdom and also smiling, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and sharing your laughter with us. So thank you so much, Jeff. I really do appreciate your time. Well, Sabia, thank you for um, the interview. I uh, really appreciated it. As you said, it wasn't going to be uh, painful. So um, uh, I, I did, in a perverse sort of way, enjoy. And you've caused me to be thinking a few things about some of the questions. So I, uh, again, really appreciate you finding the time and giving me the opportunity to hopefully demonstrate to some who feel that um, there isn't a human side to policing. There are many of us out there that genuinely want to bring about the change. And if by doing things like this, we can start to um, break down some of those urban myths, then it's uh, a step in the right direction. But thank you for providing the platform and keep up the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really do appreciate it. And I know change is coming because we are part of the change. And with more people like us, we will continue to make positive change. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ask People podcast. And please remember, you can subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play and any other platform that you prefer listening to, please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also donate to the Us People podcast by simply going to the Savvy Rocks website or simply typing in paypal.me forward slash Us People Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay happy, stay positive, and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. No, I just, I just say um, all of the stuff you're saying resonates with me. Um, yeah, and to be commended in 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 what you're doing, and um, yeah, really enjoyed it. And um, be uh, yeah, be good if um, yeah. It's always one of those things when you you play it back and have a look and you think to yourself, oh okay.
the joy is mine, commit to you. You got the tools, everything you do, you make the rules. Sometimes you need.